Naturally occurring black pigments in vegetables, spices, and seeds have been found to have powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and I'm excited about what I think may be the next big thing in anti-inflammatory supplements, a brand new all-natural daily preventative against a host of possible inflammatory issues. Black for Health Liquid Extract from Future Farm Botanicals. Black for Health combines four plant-based foods, black garlic, black radish root, black cumin seed, and black peppercorn containing high levels of body-ready healing botanicals. Black for Health supports your liver, skin, cholesterol, blood pressure, and weight management, circulation, and immunity. It's a tasty supplement with liposome complex for optimal absorption. For more information, order order. Call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's myfuture. Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking about uh, anger management. Uh, it's a, a very, very profound paradigm uh, developed by today's guest, uh, Christian Conti, Walking Through Anger. That's the name of his book, A New Design for Confronting Conflict in an Emotionally Charged World. And um, this is uh, something that, you know, it's not just a bunch of theory. You, you, you've actually applied this in some of the most challenging circumstances manageable. Uh, you go into prisons and uh, you work with prison guards. And prison guards have reason to have a lot of anger because, you know, they suffer a lot of abuse. Their working conditions are, are very, very stressful. Uh, but also prisoners... And these prisoners, yeah, these are violent individuals. They, that's their credo, violence and anger. That's been, they've had a lot of secondary gain on, on anger because, you know, uh, they've used knives, weapons. Uh, that's the law of the jungle, right? Right, right, right. But I want to show you how this all ties in together. People from maximum security prisons, you, me, and everybody else in the world. So I was in this supermax prison uh, about two months ago. And I said, uh, I went up to, I was speaking to the inmates and they said, man, why don't you go around the prison, tell everybody what you're about, you know? So I was going block to block and I went up to one guy in particular said, can you come up to death row? So I did. I went up to death row. The first time I went up to death row, I said, I told the guard, I said, Hey, can you open the doors? I want to talk to everybody. And he laughed because you obviously don't come out unless you've got three guards around you and all that stuff. So he said, he laughed and I said, no, I'm serious. So he called the bubble and he said, Dr. Conti wants the doors to be opened. And he's like to have the guys come out and the guy on the bubble over the microphone, over the walkie talkie laughed. And he said, Haha. and he said, no, he's serious. Doc wants them out there. So I, I, the first time I called everybody out, we kind of had the doors. Oh, all the doors just popped open, but only four guys came out because in a prison, in a maximum security prison, when the doors open, when people aren't used to them opening, they don't know why they're opening. So they're not, they're skeptical. But word actually travels faster in a prison than it does with people with cell phones because they talk through the pipes. So the second block I went to on death row, so imagine this. I'm on death row. I come into the block. I tell the guard, hey, listen, I would like to have him out there. He hits the guy in the bubble up. Hey, Doc, wants him out there? Bring him out. So these guys, all of them came out for the second, the second talk. So 25 guys on death row sitting in front of me, and I said to them, I had this lesson for them, and this lesson applies to all of us. Recently, my daughter, who's my life, she said, 
Daddy, this is the best lesson you ever taught me, this particular one. So I said to the guys, hey, listen, what if I gave you a bucket? If I gave each and every one of you a bucket right now, what would you put in it? And uh, one of the inmates looked at me on death row. He said, uh, I'd put food in it. Okay, you'd have food in your bucket. Then the next inmate, I said, uh, what would you put in your bucket? He said, my celly's head. In other words, his cellmate's mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 if you're on, now, if you're on death row, you have to make sure nothing makes you flinch. So I just looked at it, and I looked at the first guy, and I said, okay, so you'd have food in your bucket. And I looked at the other guy, and I said, you'd have your celly's head in your bucket. All right, so my point was, what you put in your bucket is going to be in your bucket. I said, look, if you fill your mind with violence violence is what's going to be in your mind. If you watch violent movies. So for instance, for everybody out there, if you hate, if you get angry at politics and you turn up, you start your day by watching politics or you add it into your bucket during the day, you're filling your mind with the anger that you don't want to be there. So this is a very powerful lesson. So the guy on death row who told me he put his cellie's head in his bucket, he got it. He said, man, that's right. He said, you're right. He said, I do. I listen to angry music, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So when I was leaving there, I said, listen, the, the most, the, this is interesting because I don't know what struck me more. One, that I realized why this guy was on death row, because he was quick to put a cellmate's head mm-hmm. in the bucket. Yeah. Or two, the more important lesson was on death row, everybody has is single celled, so they don't have a cellmate. <laughs> 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 I don't know what the bigger problem was there. But uh, my, my lesson with that, what's in your bucket is this. Here's how it applies from death row to kids. My daughter said to me recently, Daddy, the reason why that's the best lesson you ever taught me is I was at my friend's house, and they were about to watch a a preview for a scary movie. And I said, I don't want to watch that. And she said, I didn't explain myself to them, but the truth was I just didn't want that in my bucket. I didn't want that in my psyche. Mm -hmm. Um, This is very powerful. If we can be mindful that what we put in our mind is going to be in our mind. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we have a, a, a finite capacity uh, for carrying things around with us, and we want to optimize, and we don't want to uh, carry excess uh, baggage. And, you know, if, we're, if we believe in progress and personal evolution, uh, we want to refine what's in that bucket and not, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, vitiate it or pollute it. That's it, exactly. So I worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world. When outside the world in prison, I worked with really uh, top athletes, um, uh, professional basketball players. And, and what I say is this. Look, you master This, this is performance psychology because this is, this is geared performance. towards. Yeah, to enhancing performance because that's a big aspect of performance. Yeah. Tom Brady is, you know, got great musculature. You know, he's got great, you know, cardiovascular system. But he's also got an amazing – uh, performance psychology, you know, in adversity, uh, he is, unbe- you know, like when uh, the uh, Patriots are down 14 points, Brady has you exactly where he wants you, <laughs> you know, in, in the fourth quarter, right, right, with right. five minutes left. Right. So, so yes, you're, you hit the nail on the head. It's performance psychology. And, and here's, here's the reality, whether I'm talking about samurai warriors, whether I'm not talking about Olympic athletes or the professional athletes, or whether I'm talking about you and me and everyone else who can hear this right now, we master what we practice. So if we practice complaining all day long, we get really good at complaining. If we practice being helpless all day long, we get really good at being helpless. And the same is true as if we really all truly want peace, we got to practice it. I tell people all the time, if you go into a coffee shop and you say, hey, I'm thirsty, they're going to say, well, what do you want? 
well, okay, I need to be specific. And the same is true with your life. Like, what do you want? If you want ultimately, ultimately, if what you want is peace, and I think we do, if you've ever sat with someone in hospice in their final moments, they're not talking about how they wish they would have gotten over on one more person or scammed somebody else. They're thinking how they could have peace. And if we all know that we're going to want peace, then we've got to, we got to practice it. I was telling this to the inmates, and I think this applies to all of us too, and to the athletes I work with. I tell them stories like this because they're real, and you can't beat real stories. I told the inmates one day, I said, if you had a cellmate who said he was down for 10 years, and he said, well, I'm going to play pro basketball when I get out of here, your first question would be, well, when do you practice? And if he told you, man, I'm not going to touch a basketball till I get out of here, you're going to say, there's no way, you'll never do it. And the same is true. If we know we're all ultimately our hearts, like, uh, uh, like, um, the a Psalm of life, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he says, our hearts like drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. So we're all going to end up in that final moment. If we're going to want peace, why not start practicing it now? We master what we practice. What I teach people is how to master the peace that they're ultimately going to want. Well, there might be a, a political pushback to that. So, for example, you know, the people in uh, Hong Kong who feel oppressed or, you know, Vladimir Lenin in, uh, you know, before the Russian Re Revolution would say, well, OK, you know, uh, that's one thing. But if you're suffering from oppression, uh, you do want to harness that action towards, uh, you know, perhaps even violent expression to overturn uh, tyranny. What do you say in circumstances like that? Right. So I say there's a diff like, again, come back to that real world cartoon world in the cartoon world to say um, this shouldn't be happening. That's not real. If it is happening and you have to protect your basic survival, that's a whole different ballgame altogether. So what I'm saying is for the people who, are, you know, for everyday people who aren't out there fighting against that, then let's work on your own inner peace. But absolutely, if you have to, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I can't I can't be thinking about like what I'd love to become one day if I have to worry about my everyday safety. I have to take care of my safety and, and basic physiological needs before I can ever start to get to self-actualization and some of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of which, you have a very interesting uh, section of the book uh, which talks about the physiological concomitants of anger. And there's this term hangry, which is popularized in a commercial uh, which offers a not very good solution, which is have a candy bar and everything will be all right. Uh, but there, there's, it is a popular notion. And, you know, this is actually something that uh, I often work with with patients who suffer from anxiety or impatience or irritability. Uh, check your blood sugar. Make sure you have adequate sleep. You, you, you actually uh, speak to those issues because uh, if you're not in good uh, physical condition, uh, you may manifest emotions uh, that are actually... In a, in a sense, artificial emotions that are artifacts of your unsettled um, uh, disequilibrium physiologically. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I, I love um, I love the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy, where your thoughts, your feelings. Um, that's a wonderful philosophy. Um, I incorporate that, but the part where I take it beyond that is this: it, it's not that in cognitive behavioral therapy. They'll say your thoughts cause or determine your feelings. In other words, it's not an event that makes you mad. It's your interpretation of that event. But what my research has found is, yes, that applies in lots of ways. But in addition, your mind always wants to match your body. Mm -hmm. So here's what I mean by that. 
if you're physiologically uh, hungry, so I used to, I always tell people there's an old adage, never go to bed angry, but that's, that's really nice, but that's not actual steeped in neuroscience because the truth is if the only reason why you're arguing is because you or your loved one is overly tired, then by all means go to sleep, wake up the next morning. If you're still mad, keep fighting. But the odds are if you're fighting because one of both of you is overly tired, you're not going to be. Our mind wants to match our body. So if our, our, our body feels in disarray, so let's say everybody listening downs three energy drinks really quickly. Mm-hmm. That would be awful for your health. But here's what would happen. Your, your heart would start to race. Your body would mimic physiological anxiety, and then your mind would race to make up a story to match that. So it would be like if you're a high-functioning person, you might say, oh, my goodness, did I miss that meeting? Was I supposed to hit this deadline and I missed it? But the truth is you might just have more caffeine in your body than what you, your body is, is good for your body. So when you can learn to understand, step back, become the observer, and not become reactive to your emotions, but step back and ask yourself, what are your emotions trying to teach you? Well, then you become, instead of a helpless puppet, you become not just being uh, what's called monkey mind, being driven around from this tree to that by your brain, but you start to become in control of it. And, And this is a good segue to something that you talk about in the book, which is, uh, mindfulness and, and more specifically the practice of meditation. Uh, how can that help us with uh, anger? So meditation, you know, back when I would talk about it in the 90s, I was looked at as crazy and it was out there. I'm happy to say that in 2019, we see lots of evidence around uh, lowering blood pressure. Uh, I've seen studies that demonstrate the amygdalae that center of the fight or flight response lowers your, your default mode network. I mean, we have a running internal dialogue of anywhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. And it's called the default mode network and meditation helps quiet that a bit. Here's what meditation does. You don't have to have beliefs. You don't have to subscribe to any theory. It's a matter of practicing stillness. It's a matter of practicing, observing yourself. So, Let's say I sit in a room and, and, and in our own meditation room in my house, I'm in my house right now, but in my meditation room, maybe, maybe the dogs start barking because they see a rabbit out of the window. Mm-hmm. Instead of me saying, oh, no, they shouldn't be barking, yeah, I it's it. It's I aggravating. It's, a, it's something, it's a distraction. It makes you think, oh, you know, oh, uh, or, uh, you know, you start to think about, uh, oh, you know, I, I forgot to call somebody today or, you know, things like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, it, 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 what it does is it pushes us into the cartoon world. They shouldn't be barking. I should have done this. We should have done that. What the real world is, you didn't, and the dogs are barking, and it's not the end of the world, and you can handle it. And then when you start to recognize, you practice daily, ob- observing yourself, observing your thoughts, and again, not having to be reactive to your thoughts, but observing the way that your thoughts impact you and the way you respond from them. It's powerful. It's transformative. So we've seen tons of, I probably the most studies, I can, the fastest way I can sum it up is at a minimum five minutes a day for six weeks can make physiological demonstrable changes in your brain. But what I say to people is this, if you've ever wanted to even consider this, try it for two minutes a day. Because <laughs> look, people can give us excuses for why they can't do 20 minutes mm-hmm. or 10 minutes, but it's tough to give yourself an excuse why you can't take two minutes a day to sit in stillness. And, and pe- most people say, well, I can't turn off my thoughts. Well, you don't have to turn off your thoughts. You're observing your thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
instead of thinking what I should be doing, you say, okay, this is interesting. This per you almost step outside yourself and be just become the observer. And again, the more you practice it, the more likely you are to master it. And then there's also the issue of breath control because, uh, you know, there are physiologic changes that occur when you move towards anger. And if you learn breath control, uh, you can actually bring yourself to a place that's more balanced uh, and uh, resourceful. Right, because you can't hold two opposing physiological states at once. You're not going to be anxious and calm at the same time. If you observe what people look like when they're anxious, you'll see a rapid breathing, uh, shallow breathing. Um, but then if you observe somebody who's in a state of peace, they're going to have slower, more controlled breathing. Um, and so, yes, we want to come back to understanding our breath. You know, it's funny because uh, there was a young man, he was sent away to a monastery because he was like, getting in trouble all the time. So after a year of being gone, his parents said to him, well, what'd you learn? He said, all I learned to do was breathe. And, and then a few years later, his kid came home and his parents said, well, what are you learning? He's like, all I learned to do was breathe. <laughs> and, and, then many, and then many years later, come, the many years later pass, and this young man becomes an old man. This, this unawakened man becomes awakened. He becomes enlightened. And someone asks him, what's the key? How have you become enlightened? He says, finally, I have learned to breathe. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like one of those uh, Zen stories there. Uh, and there are probably like a hundred of them throughout that book. So yeah. people will be able to read those kind of things. And, and it, you know, I like to teach in stories because they're easy for people to read. People like them. They're entertaining. So, I, I, you know, that's, I, I put probably maybe a hundred of them in that book. So it, it, it sounds, you know, plausible and, and, and right. But is the book programmatic? Does the book offer, uh, and I, you know, I read it and I knew the answer to the question, but I'd like you to state it for the audience. Um, does it offer a step-by-step uh, pragmatic, implementable pathway towards anger management by reading this book? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you so much for phrasing it that way, because the reality is this. I deal, when you walk into a maximum security prison, you have no chance to be fake without being spotted in two seconds. Mm -hmm. You have no chance if you're not bringing somebody that's actually going to work. And if the stuff I do works in there, if it works with some of the best athletes in the world, it works in everyday people. I've been doing this 20 years. It works, and there are pragmatic steps to take. Now, the reality is this. This isn't a quick fix. So you don't, it's not a pill you take and all of a sudden everything's magically better. I'm providing an absolutely tried and true methodology. Of course, it's going to take some effort on your part. It's going to take some discipline. Um, but yes, it's super, super achievable. Okay. And so what are some resources that are available? Of course, there's the book. It's called Walking Through Anger. The author is Christian Conti. And you have a website, right? Right, right, right. DrChristianConti.com. And then on YouTube, I'm easy to find on YouTube. Yeah. And I, you know, I do this channel. It's a free resource for people, but you just type in Dr. Christian Conti, C-O-N-T-E on YouTube. And there's lots of free videos for people mm-hmm. to tap into and would love for people to subscribe and share that. Also, there's practical uh, YouTubes, you know, on, you know, issues related to child rearing. That's an area where people really tend to fly off the handle. Uh, and you have, you know, you as a, as a parent and a PhD psychologist, uh, you've got some really uh, down to earth, practical, implementable uh, suggestions on how to diffuse uh, some sources of family strife, right? 
Well, I do. And so I, um, so, you know, I developed a theory called the four C's of parenting before I even had, before we had our daughter, our daughter's 14, uh, you know, and, and the four C's of parenting are super pragmatic, uh, choices, consequences, consistency, compassion. I actually wrote a book called Zen Parent, Zen Child. Um, and so I do a video on YouTube about 10 ways to discipline your children and the four C's. And I think what people can learn by that is a very pragmatic approach. Does it work? Absolutely. Does it apply across the board? Absolutely. But it also takes effort. But once you do those four C's, my goodness, can you watch changes in your pragmatic change? This is why I'm excited. People can do the stuff I do in this day and age. If you're not legit and you don't do stuff that actually works, people would call you on it in a second. And I've been thriving for 21 years because the stuff I'm talking about works. Sure, it's going to take some effort, but yes, it absolutely works. It can bring peace to you and your family. And for people who may identify with this and say, gee, you know, I really now, I recognize I've got an anger management problem. There is this thing called NAMA, the National Anger Management Association. Are there, uh, you work with people one-on-one, but are there professionals uh, all over the country who uh, are, are trained in, in these techniques? There are. There definitely are. And there are professionals everywhere with it. I'm currently not taking on people right now, but I definitely, there are people you can call and each state has, if you go to NAMA's website, you'll learn uh, in your state, in your area where you can see somebody one-on-one. I think that's fantastic. I mean, look, we need, the reality is people see all the actions, not our intentions. So it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to be angry. It doesn't matter if you didn't mean to go off on Aunt Sally at Thanksgiving. The reality is people see your actions, not your intentions. And there are very pragmatic things you can learn in anger management. You know, I have an anger management workbook that gives practical techniques for people um, because I believe in this stuff. You know, I believe in giving people stuff that's actually going to work. Um, so there are things you can do to learn about yourself. Well, great. I'd like you to, uh, you know, your next step is to send a copy of uh, the book uh, to each and every uh, newsroom across America, uh, also to each and every <laughs> member of uh, Congress, uh, and then maybe you'll yes. take on uh, the uh, the adversaries in the Middle East uh, and, uh, you know, in, uh, maybe take a trip to Hong Kong and see if we can, uh, you know, achieve some conciliation. Uh, because yes. motions are running high across the globe, and it only seems to be getting worse. Uh, and uh, it, there, there are going to yeah. be some devastating consequences. There are. I mean, I think I've built for this. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm a stronger person physically, and I think that's helped me through the years. But the reality is that we have a lot of work to do. And sometimes what I mean by being stronger physically is I, I'm disciplined enough to realize you don't have to react to emotions. And when you can become, when you can realize you don't have to be, it's like a puppet. Like if somebody yells at you, you're angry. Somebody disagrees with you, you're angry. If somebody agrees with you, you're happy. You're completely giving your power and control over to that person. Mm -hmm. And what fascinates me, what's absolutely fascinating to observe Mm -hmm. is that people willingly do this. Like, hey, you don't believe what I believe. Now I'm going to be angry with you until you believe what I believe. So you've literally handed power of your life over to other people. And when we become conscious, we stop doing that. We take our control back. Yeah. And life is short. I, I say take control of your life. Try not to allow everybody else to control it or others to control it. Well, there's an expression for that. And that expression is, I really lost it the other day. And that really embodies what you say. It's like you lose a part of yourself and you diminish yourself. 
when you succumb to these primitive emotions. Uh, it's uh, you know, something to work on. No, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Look, let me end on this. I, I, every single emotion you'll ever experience has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Emotions inevitably come and go, but your actions, what you do out of that emotion, that can't be undone. So it's worth being mindful to learn how to control your emotions. I kind of wish they taught this stuff in, in school because whereas some people might use math and some people mm -hmm. might use literature, yep. we're all going to experience emotions. Indeed. Uh, and on that note, uh, a very happy uh, and harmonious and peaceful Thanksgiving to you, your family, and to our, uh, our listeners uh, as we uh, Thank move you into so the holiday season. Thank you very much, Dr. Christian Conti. His book is Walking Through Anger. Dr. Christian Conte, C-O-N-T-E, is dot com is the website. Thanks for joining us. I'm Thank Dr. you Ronald. so much for having me. I hope you have a beautiful uh, holiday. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile friendly site, it's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.